0: If you enjoy this episode of the Permaculture Podcast and would like more from the show, including directly influencing upcoming episodes, receiving announcements for upcoming video live streams, as well as a regular look behind the scenes, become a member of the podcast Patreon community today. For as little as $1 a month, you'll receive patron-exclusive posts and updates not available anywhere else. At just $5 a month, you'll receive those as well as early access to every new episode ad-free. Join now at patreon.com permaculturepodcast. Only 10 weeks remain in the annual Summer to Fall fundraiser, and the show needs your help. Your direct donations during this campaign allow the podcast to thrive rather than subsist. Through this support, you can hear coverage of conferences and events, as well as interviews recorded in person and face-to-face. New for the coming year, this work expands to include video documentaries of permaculture people and projects. None of these can happen, however, without you. Donate now using Venmo, at permaculturepodcast, online at paypal.me permaculturepodcast, or you can send something in the mail. Scott Mann, 210 East Fairfax Street, number 300, Falls Church, Virginia, 22046. If you want to learn more about anything discussed in today's interview, have a question about permaculture, or would like to suggest a guest or topic for a future episode, you can contact me by calling or sending a text to 717-827-6266, or reach me by email, show at permaculturepodcast.com. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. My longest-running hobby, one I've participated in since I was a child, long before discovering permaculture, is playing tabletop role-playing games. Perhaps the most well-known of these, one that you may have heard of or played yourself, is Dungeons & Dragons. Growing up hearing my family members tell stories, I experienced how they drew you in and spun a yarn, but it was at the gaming table where I learned to create collaborative tales with others and engage in oral storytelling of my own. This is also where I found my voice and how to engage others in conversation. Though the technical skills for podcasting came from experiences as a radio DJ in college and later working in information technology during my 20s, the Permaculture podcast and the hundreds of interviews in the archives wouldn't exist without this lifelong love of developing characters, rolling dice, and experiencing imaginative adventures with my friends. When not working on the show, I still play role-playing games or have conversations about those types of games on Twitter. It was there that I found and began to follow the work of today's guest, Anna Orbanek. She is the author of Herbalist's Primer, a book designed as a gaming supplement with a broad appeal not only to gamers, but to anyone interested in plants, gardening, magic, or folklore. We explore those subjects, storytelling, and much more in the interview which follows. As usual for the show, we start with her sharing her background and how she came to write the book. I'll join you again after.
1: I come from a very long line of gardeners and let's say low-key witches from all sides of my family. My mom is a botanist and my aunt is a pharmacist, for example, and they both uh, have beautiful gardens. Just basically everybody in my family has a beautiful garden save for me because I am, I'm the off child that went into books and not practical gardening, as it apparently happens. I'm technically a librarian, and I've always always had a passion for the natural world, all kinds of environmental sciences, also mixing it a bit with green witchcraft. I very much wanted to be a witch when I was a small child, but kind of didn't work out, so I went into graphic design.
0: And the witchy side is interesting for me. I was part of the pagan revival here in the United States during the 1990s and early 2000s. And though uh-huh. I've kind of left some of those practices, that was where a lot of my interest in plants kind of came together. I was studying herbalism as a teenager, was considering going off and becoming a medical doctor that wanted to blend in plant medicine as part of those practices. And yes, this happens so often for us that those paths diverge. I went into computer science and radio, <laughs> but those like, stories and lessons from those times really stuck with me. And I remember making tinctures and extracts and applying those for health and wellness, not only for myself, but other friends and members of the community. And so that was one of those other pieces that really drew me to this work. And, you know, those are a lot of folks who I've been recommending your book to because of this material that you're including on how to make tinctures and also some of the magical components of this. And so I think about the way that having a knowledge and understanding of that can really connect us to the plants and the natural world because of the stories that we might tell, the spiritual aspects that resonate with us. And so I was wondering if you could take that and tell us a bit more about the plants that you selected and how they spoke to you and why you chose to include them.
1: Well, there is a couple separate, completely separate elements to the whole thing. First of all, I was making this book mostly for myself because we were in the middle of a pandemic and throwing flowers makes me happy, so that's what I did. But I'm very much a gamer and I work in the uh, tabletop RPG industry, so I knew I want to make something that's going to be useful not only for people who love plants like I do, but also for people who want to use them in games or maybe to influence their daily witchcraft routines or just read up on plant folklore and being well i'm polish and i live in finland so my whole upbringing is very much european i knew that i don't want to just write about stuff that is specifically western european because well everybody knows that but i also understand that some stories are not mine to tell so why i will i definitely try to include as many plants from As many places as i could i also was conscious of the fact that some of those are part of a very deep and spiritual folklore and traditions and cultures that i couldn't just strip out of context and put in the book for obvious reasons of that being absolutely terrible idea and well disrespectful so i started by putting together a list of 100 plants in the beginning, I just wanted to have like 20 medical plants, 20 magical, 20 poisonous. But then as I delve into the subject and read up more about those specific plants that I picked, I realized that basically that's impossible because most of the plants have some kind of medicinal or culinary or magical essence to them, magical in understanding of the folklore and modern occult mostly. And about... of them are toxic, more or less. So, my grand idea about just having it nicely organized was proven impossible, which is perfectly fine because that's how the natural world works. So, it's little point complaining about that. Uh, That list of 100 plants basically went through several iterations as I was, as my uh, assumptions about what's going to be interesting and deeply entrenched in folklore and magic proof sometimes not what I wanted to really write write about because many plants are just general protective magic or maybe they are uh, very much love magic that I find of them controversial the problem with love magic is that it's sometimes controversial on the point of consent so i prefer to focus on plants that are, for example, known for their curse-breaking practice, uh, properties. Than they are about let's make somebody to love us.
0: So that was then focusing more on the personal and internal than necessarily the the interpersonal or the external.
1: From the point of view of like author's intent and how the book is written, it's definitely supposed to be some kind of an in-game or in-world beginner guide for herbalists and magicians and with me going through this idea of a handbook that could maybe be given by a teacher or a school to a beginner herbalist I couldn't really make it into poisoner's handbook it had to be something that would be wholesome something that focuses on the medicine and on healing and on protecting and let's say this kind, this positive type of magic and that focuses on helping people instead of harming them.
0: And then with the focus on the arcane elements on a positive and helpful direction, when you were putting together your list of plants, what did you include the poisonous plants as a point of interest and conversation for both the real world or were you including those more as something for the tabletop and the storytelling aspects?
1: Well, many of the plants that are poisonous are also have positive connotations. They have positive uh, medicinal effects. And even if we assume that this is an in-game or in, in-world item, if you're trying to arm somebody to help others, you also need to know what the opposition is going to use. So, for example, when I'm discussing you, which is highly poisonous and, and has no medicinal positive properties i'm for example mentioning how often it is used in necromantic rituals or communicating with the dead which is obviously not something that's even in fantasy universes has to be specifically a villainous thing but it's outside of the mainstream of healing and helping and protecting the idea is generally to to give people more options than than just being the goody two shoes healer but i have a separate chapter on poisons but it comes with information about antidotes it talks for example about symptoms of different poisons not and while it discusses for example lethal doses it doesn't provide information on how to make some kind of magical poison it focuses on how to heal the damage not how to deal it
0: And so in writing that chapter and being aware of those plants in that way, you're providing kind of a guidebook then if someone wants to investigate for their story the kinds of things that might cause paralysis or pain or something like that. They can be aware of what those plants are, what the antidotes are, and then create a narrative then that characters in the story, characters in a tabletop gaming session can then pursue Mm -hmm in order to resolve that issue.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm I'm not about to, for example, remove from a book something that is potentially harmful, because I do not believe in doing things like that. We have to be aware of what's, let's say, good and bad in in the natural world and in the world in general, so we know how to Help if something bad happens, or how, to, or how to protect ourselves. I'm not going to pretend suddenly that thievery doesn't exist. So I don't have to talk about plants that are supposed to protect you from thieves. Even if somebody, for example, can use a completely different plant for lock picking or treasure finding or hiding hiding themselves, there is just. Often in natural worlds, everything's connected, and there's more than one aspect to a single plant and to a single spell or invocation or preparation. Everything depends on dosage. Quite often, like when you have foxglove and you have digital medicine, it very much depends on the dosage of it whether it will help your heart or will it stop it. And that's one of those things I wanted to emulate in this book that. There is more to the whole thing than just separating between good and bad. Although there are obviously some things like compulsion spells or enchantments enforcing feelings that are definitely on the worst side. So I'm I'm putting a lot of information on how to protect yourself from those, how to protect yourself from magical influences, because as much as Charm person, for example, is a very popular spell on the first level, I think, in Dungeons & Dragons. The moment you start thinking about magic affecting people's minds, everything becomes rather icky. And that's my problem with love potions, yes. (laughs) That's where
0: we started. (laughs) I think about how much has changed since I started gaming, like first printing of the second edition of Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of the things that we used then for like command and a lot of the charm spells and other things that would influence were pieces that were readily thrown around in our games but now we have conversations about whether those are appropriate for use in our storytelling and the way that like consent tools and other things have developed that have changed the way that we might look at those kinds of aspects of a game or even like I think about how much a trope the love potion is from you know the hermit or the wise woman of the woods in a lot of stories that I grew up with and like modern fiction and how we kind of as our society has examined many of those ideas more that there are conversations about those and that those tropes are not as widely used as they were, like I say, only just a few decades ago.
1: Yes, I completely agree. I don't really play Dungeons & Dragons that often these days. I'm mostly playing Shadowrun, but of course, magic influencing minds, all kind of mind control or action control is also a thing there, like it is in most magic systems. And yes, we also often have conversations about how much of a, good idea it is to just influence people's minds, and we had many NPCs being seriously influenced long term by players just abusing that power and that magic abilities. So that was rather dark, (laughs) but it makes sense, we have to discuss those things. I actually have an introductory chapter about herbal magic in general, and this is one of the topics I'm discussing there about how magic is based on intent because obviously even in folklore all of those plants have multiple properties and they are sometimes contradictory and it's not what the plant can inherently do it's about what intent we charge it with which makes basically all magic premeditated in which case you really have to think about what you're doing and the moment you start thinking about magic influencing minds or love spells or all kinds of destructive magic, if you don't have moral concerns, not necessarily objections, because that's, that's something that already suggests the, the solution of your, of your wondering. but if you don't have concerns and you don't think about it, then you probably should
0: bringing us back around to consider the impacts of our actions, not only on ourselves, but also on others.
1: Mm -hmm, Exactly. And it also brings us to another part that I have in my book, which is something I, I really try to express openly, is about our effect and our influence on the environment. A big part of this book is basically a botany guide about One third of each plant entry is basically botanical description and information about the habitat and cultivation of those plants and how to properly forage them and prepare. I did what I could to convey the idea of sustainable growth and permaculture and also about the important role each of those plants has in the environment, whether as a companion plant or maybe providing seeds or other parts for animals to eat or you know attracting pollinators and creating uh, better soil or mining minerals from the ground and providing it to the higher levels to the topsoil so i'm really trying to make this book something that's going to be more than just a list of magical plants with damage codes as much as it is theoretically a gaming supplement I really hope it's more and it's going to motivate at least somebody to delve deeper into the subject and maybe learn something more and get inspired to, to put some of that uh, love for plants and permaculture and sustainable growth into, into their lives.
0: For those people who are gamers first and foremost, to introduce them further to the world of plants and gardening and sustainability, and perhaps deepen their knowledge of the folklore of these plants. And for the people who are gardeners and growers and permaculture practitioners, introduce them to the world of the magical elements of these plants, the cultural touchstones that they're a part of. And then in a different way, deepen our relationships with those plants and the way that they're used not only in our garden, but perhaps in our community or in our medicine or in our religious or spiritual practices?
1: Yes, definitely. This book is basically an amalgamation of all my special interests between medicine and pharmacology and plants and botany in general and, and both computer gaming and tabletop gaming and, of course, the occult because that's been a constant in my life. I just want to share all those cool things within one book and have people who are just into part of those things to see what else is there and how else they can extend
0: their interest. When I first saw some of your posts about it on Twitter, I think we followed each other now for a couple of months. Um, I think so. And seeing that. I didn't know that you were writing the book that I always wanted to write. And that's where like all of this comes together in such an interesting way because there is so much that is useful for anyone who is interested in these ideas and calling it a primer is perfect because it does provide information about so many different aspects of plants. And when I saw it, I just thought that it's the perfect introduction for so many different aspects of the plant world in just an interesting, beautiful way. The illustrations are gorgeous. Thank you. I mean, it's a beautiful book at 360 pages. It's quite a volume with everything that you've included. And I look at my bookshelves and the things that I have on plant medicine, on foraging, and it's a couple of feet of books. But I don't know which one of those I would pull off the shelf if someone said they wanted to learn more about plants. But When I saw your book and what you're doing with it and some of the excerpts, it was just, this is exactly it. This is the piece that if I meet someone who is interested in plants in a variety of ways, they're interested in permaculture and learning a little bit more, it's just the perfect thing to pull off the shelf and give to someone and say, here, read this, come back to me, tell me what speaks to you, and then we can decide where you should take your your plant journey from here.
1: That's basically what I wanted to do, yes, so I'm glad it's working. Actually, now that we have Kickstarter running, I have quite a lot of people coming to tell me that, for example, they they are not a gamer, but they love plants, so they are they're picking it up, or that they're not really in the plant in gardening because they they don't have a garden, but they are gaming and they really like love plants, so they're gonna pick it up, or for example, they're they're doing witchcraft but they don't play any games. So they already have been invited to a table by some other commenter on Kickstarter. So hopefully it will help people pursue those interests and maybe even realize they have them. Funnily, this is actually the first book in the series that I'm planning. And they will be primers on different different topics because... I am a very curious person and I have a lot of interests. Popular science is just something I really love. So I'm I'm more than happy to provide the basic information. I mean, it it is deeply researched, but it's not unavailable to people. For example, I, I start this book actually with a botany lore primer because I do not expect anybody to know botany the moment they pick up this book. So I'm going through basic botanical classification, for example, and different parts of the plants explaining their their role and various options, for example, tubers versus rhizomes, and different types of leaf shapes. So after reading that botany chapter, you basically know everything you need to use the rest
0: of the book. The more we talk about it, the more you reinforce just how much interest i have in your book and the text because of how much it can introduce people to and one of the pieces that really stood out for me because you know as i say i've been a gamer for a long time but i also grew up with a family who were storytellers and so storytelling is a is a super deep part of myself my traditions my life and that's where when it comes to the folklore that you've included the way that that can help connect people to things that are a little bit deeper. I forget where I read it, that human beings are storytelling animals. And as I think about that and continue to turn it over, the more that story plays an important role in how we place ourselves in the world, in the context that we find ourselves in, and the way that that further connects us with the natural world if we know the story of a particular hill, or we're walking along and we can tell someone the story of a plant, that those stories provide a better ability to remember than if we just kind of rattle off facts and figures. And so I was wondering, what were some of the stories of the plants that you were drawn to, some of the folklore that emerged that were the stories that you wanted to tell and share from your life and your traditions?
1: Well, as I mentioned, I'm I'm Polish. so. Actually, the Slavic plant folklore was always a big part of my life. I remember when I was about 10, I was taking part in the summer solstice celebrations because as much as Poland is theoretically a Christian country, we definitely still celebrate the pagan holidays, even if we renamed them into the Christian ways. So I was running around in reefs of wormwood and all the other protective plants of the summer solstice but i think my favorite my favorite story about plants is is about rosary it's it's a legendary plant of the slavic folklore it has its real world existing plant that is similar at least in in description but it is a deeply legendary plant of the slavic folklore it's called rosary in poland it's called raskovnica in various similar languages it looks basically like a four-leaf clover but the most important part about it is that it doesn't exist until you know about it Uh, it's it's in this weird state of quantum superposition where you can't find it unless you already know it's there it it's supposed to grow um on wet meadows and by the by the river sides and If you know that it's growing there, you will find it. If you're just looking without any information, there is literally no chance to find it by accident. It's a plant that's mostly used for treasure hunting, and it also has a magical power of tearing apart iron. If you raise it, for example, over a stretch of land, it will instantly uncover any buried treasures, literally by ripping the the earth apart and just pulling whatever treasures might be underneath and the most fun part about it is that animals are supposed to know all about where it's growing so if you can't find one you basically need to find a hedgehog or a mole or any other animals animal like that you need to find its burrow and build a fence around it and then just wait until the animal comes home because if it comes home and it cannot get inside it it will go and find that plant so it can rip apart the fence you build around it. So then a hedgehog goes on a quest to find a magical plant and then you can collect it from the hedgehog when it finds it, which is ridiculous. And I wouldn't mess with a hedgehog that's basically Odysseus, but, you know, it's probably better than looking for a plant that you don't know if it even exists.
0: Polish folklore (laughs) for you. I grew up the descendants of of Appalachian folks. And so, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of of variations of the stories of, like, the blacksmith and the devil and things like that. And what can you do to escape old scratch at the end of your life? How can you make that, make a deal that you can then escape from? And that's fascinating that there's a plant then that would tear apart iron because of the role that iron plays in a lot of those stories, too.
1: Oh, definitely. (laughs) There is just so many plants that are connected to iron that this is just... It's just ridiculous. Like Verbena officinalis, Vervain, I think it's pronounced. Is it? It's probably Vervain. Um, It's actually called iron weed or iron herb in most Central and Eastern European languages. And it's supposed to specifically heal wounds that are dealt with iron, but not by actually healing wounds through some medicinal function, you're supposed to dry it and then sprinkle it over the iron that dealt the wound to close the wound. So you're supposed to sprinkle it over a sword that harmed you to magically seal the wound that was dealt. It also, for some reason, offsets the cold iron allergy that the Fae are supposed to have. So if you see somebody carrying vervain around that's It might be a fae that's protecting themselves from from cold iron. I don't know. It's an option.
0: (laughs) And that's where as we dig into that folklore, the way that they can influence the stories and the place that we find ourselves in. And I think about how as we as people move around, as you say, you know, being Polish and living in Finland, I look at my own family's history of largely being Northern European. And the way, though, that those stories give us a connection to the cultures that we come from, will also allow us the opportunity to tell stories that we can draw common themes from with others. And the way that our stories and our storytelling can make the world a smaller place, connect ourselves to culture and other people.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. There is just such a plethora of stories and you find those most amazing connections between cultures that are otherwise not connected at all for example oaks are basically in every single culture that i checked because obviously i could not i could not check all of them but in every single i checked they are not only connected to strength and vitality and power because that's that's obviously from being an oak but they are also a sacred tree to several more or less disconnected lightning or thunder deities like from Thor and perun and several other slavic gods of thunder why are they connected to the oaks i honestly have no idea but it's also a sacred tree of zeus so basically there's a long long line of myths and legends that connect oaks to lightning and thunder and the highest gods that are very masculine generally in energy but it's probably also connected i just wish i had the time to delve that deeply into every single of those stories i hope i will at some point but that book has a hundred plants in, them, in it, and I was working on it for over a year now. And I wish I had a year to work on every single one of them, but that's physically impossible, sadly. But there is so many threads that are going through various cultures that are not, not directly connected, and I'd love to investigate them.
0: I can just imagine the journey as you were to explore something like oak deeper Mm -hmm. how many other gods of place would you find or spirits or other pieces that would continue to move and fill in those different aspects that pull from and connect so many different cultures
1: yes for example like (laughs) let's talk about witch hazel which from the etymological point of view, it has nothing to do with witchcraft. Its name comes from Old English Wicca, "wicca." I suppose, I don't really speak Old English, meaning pliant from general similarities to hazel as a completely different species. But the folk etymology has fully accepted the magical connotations of witch hazel, spreading them to other languages. For example, it's zaubernus, meaning magic nut, in German, it has the exact same meaning in Finland. It's called ochar in Polish, which means enchant, like enchanted, just shortened. And it's also troll hassle in Swedish, meaning troll hazel. There is literally nothing witchcrafty about the name originally, but in folk etymology of basically every single country outside of Great Britain, outside of English it already has this connection to witchcraft embedded in it. I mean, the nuts basically loudly crack open in the middle of the forest, so I suppose there might be a reason for those magical properties being assigned. But other than that, there is no connection, except trees. There is no explanation other than just people thought it's fun.
0: And as those stories and connections developed, that now there is that association and there is this like energy that comes with that plant.
1: Definitely. You you can't shake it. At this point witch hazel is just something that you use for dowsing, finding water hidden underground and other kinds of divination, because at this point it is witch hazel, even though it was supposed only to be bendable or pliant. I don't think we can change it at change it at this point. It's it's what it is.
0: <laughs> I think I could spend hours with you talking about these different aspects of plants and the folklore and the way the language around them and the names for them developed. I'm really looking forward to reading the book, but I was wondering before we come to your final thoughts and close the interview, could you share with us a bit about the Kickstarter campaign, what you're including for like rewards and stretch goals. I know there's a digital copy of the book. There's a physical copy of the book. I haven't checked in the last day or so, but I think I saw that you've unlocked flashcards that will come with this. Could you share a bit more about what those rewards are and what people can expect?
1: Of course, we have two reward tiers we have a digital and a physical one and it's going to be easier if i if i go for the physical the digital version just uh, contains for the all the digital versions the physical gets physical and digital as well so it's going to be easier that way we have the book which is 360 pages of a hardcover in six by nine inches format so it's slightly bigger than a5 for the people that deal with european sizes other than that, we have a PDF and also EPUB and Mobi versions because we want to make this book as accessible as it can be, which is why we're providing everybody with a both PDF version, which is prepared for screen readers, but also with the Kindle and other ebook readers versions so people can change their phone, fonts and make it bigger and easier to read. We are also including a digital and physical version of a poster, which is basically a visual guide, I'd say, to the plants. It has all 100 plants as miniature pictures with names and page numbers, so it's easy to pick something. If you're just after a white flower, it's easy to just pick a white flower without having to browse the whole book. And it's a quick reference in case you forget how something looks like, or you can roll on that as a random table, I suppose. The poster is basically foldable, so you can fold it and put it in the book. It's sturdy cardboard. It's not, not something that's going to get stirred up. We are also providing everybody with a physical and or digital version of a herbalist notebook, which is something that I personally love, not only because I made it. It's a notebook that you can fill yourself. It comes with... Empty plant spreads like I have them in the book. So you can add your own plants, whichever you want. And the notebook comes spiral bound, which means that you can also glue plants. Well, you shouldn't really glue plants into herbarium, but never mind that. You can add dried plants to that and don't worry about the added bulk. You can make your own herbarium, I suppose. I'm also providing some short guidelines on how to collect plants in the wild and how to dry them properly and how to make your own herbarium but the notebook also comes with space for putting together your own recipes and it has some useful reference tables and quick reference information so you don't have to dig through the book and we also have some empty pages with like bullet points for easy doodling and map making during the play and there is also a lot of black and white illustrations that you can color. You can also color in the cover because why not? I like doodling. (laughs) I'm one of those people that have to do something with their hands while playing a game because it keeps my mind focused on what's actually happening. And I wanted to make this for people who are like me. So that's that. We're also providing a digital version of it, so you're never going to run out of pages if you want to really make... A big big book of dried plants so you can just print out however many you want we are also going to release system neutral plant-based adventure which is going to be about 20-24 pages depending on how many pages it will be in the layout and physical version is included in the physical pledge and also we have digital version in both so that's going to be that We are also creating a digital deck with 100 adventure seeds, well, quest ideas, one for each of the plants that are included. So there's going to be, for example, a plot hook about Aconite or werewolves or something that is inspired by the folklore around this specific plant. And yes, we also have the digital and physical version of the Herbalist flashcards, which is basically a deck of... 100 reference cards on one side with a picture of the plant, and on the other with a shortened version of its main culinary, poisonous, medicinal, and magical properties, plus some very basic description. So that's in the pledge for physical pledge for $40. Yes.
0: With everything you've shared, as I always like to end these conversations, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
1: I think. The best thing I can say in this case is that do not be afraid to do what you love. This project, I very much expected this project to just be a a thing that appeals only to people who are already into all of those, those things. It's a weird intersection of botany, ethnobotany, occult folklore and RPG games. So I expected the target audience to be very small and people to consider my special interests rather unrelatable but no apparently if you like something and are excited about it other people will be excited about it too and it's and it's super super great and I wish everybody finds their part of the universe like I did with this book so wish everybody a lot of hobbies
0: Thank you for that, Anna, and for joining me today for this interview on the Permaculture Podcast.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: And that was Anna Orbanek. You can find The Herbalist's Primer by heading over to Kickstarter and searching for that title or by the link in the show notes. There you'll also find a link to Anna's Twitter account, 2xProficiency, and the website for her other gaming materials, DoubleProficiency.com. As you may have noticed, This was a fun interview for me, and I'm super enthusiastic about Herbalist's Primer. The book draws together these different interests into one place and invites people who might only know one or two of these areas to explore so many more. It also reminds me of something I heard many years ago about how to bring more people into permaculture. The response, which I believe came from David Holmgren, though I'm not certain at the moment, was that we approach people that are already looking over the fence. Maybe they don't want the whole design but would love to learn to compost, save rainwater, or organize in their community. Reaching out to them and sharing books like Herbalist's Primer is one approach to blending what we love so much with the desires and interests of others. From here, the next interview is a conversation with Scott Gallant about permaculture in Central America and the global tropics. Until we meet again, spend your days playing games, telling stories, and taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.